All right, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. However, not really. We're really going to be looking at one verse in particular, and you're going to see why uh, here in a second. Um, but today's uh, title of today's sermon is life's Q&A, questions and answers, or we could say answers. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to John chapter 14. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of go through the, the, the message as is. So uh, let me open up by just reading through these verses. So after Jesus tells them where he's going uh, and what he's going to do, that he's preparing a place for them, he says this, And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way. We do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him, and you have seen him. Life is full of questions, isn't it? Lots of questions. <laughs> I, I know that over the past uh, few years, few weeks even, I've been asking a lot of questions, not always getting answers, or answers that I like, I should say. Um, and I know that when we look at our passage from, from last week about confusion or despair and depression and doubt and anxiety and all of those things, right, unanswered questions kind of contribute to that, don't they? Not knowing the answers to things really kind of can throw us into a tizzy, can it? And I think, folks, as we're going to look at this sermon, we're going to be reflecting a lot on our culture and what is happening in our culture today. But I think you're seeing the result of the unanswered big questions in, in our society. There's no answers, at least not consistent ones, or at least ones that are not helping individuals where they, where they find themselves in their life. We begin to ask questions at a very young age, don't we? Uh, I know that we've all had kids sometimes or interacted with children and they've asked some funny questions. So what I did was I, did a, I took a sampling of questions, questions that start when we're very, very young and questions that we might ask as we get in an older age. So here you go, starting with a kid. This kid says to a person with medical tape over his eye, he said, are you a pirate? Right, because in life at that age, it is pirates, princesses, and dragons, right? That is what life is all about, so makes sense. How about this question from a kid? In the olden days, was everything black and white? Some of you are saying, what do you mean? It still is. How about this one? While, while cookies are baking, are they downloading or are they loading all of that delicious goodness? Here's a, here's a good one, getting a little bit more profound as we get older maybe. Why do I have two eyes if I only see one thing? How did people make the first tools without any? That's a really good question. Uh, here's one you might know the answer to. What is the name of the space between the teeth or the things that stick out in a comb? After that question, there was a long gap of silence. Oh, come on. It's actually called a rut. Actually called a rut. So how about this one? Why don't crabs have eyebrows? I think because if they did, they'd get a lot of crustacean in them. Come on. Yeah, work with me here. There's a, here's one. The kid's at, at a diner with his, his, his father, and he says, why are we here? And the father says, well, to eat. And he goes, I mean on earth. So now we've get, we're, get, we're starting to step on the, get into the big question. So, those are questions we ask as kids, but then they get more important, right? More crucial. And the answers as we get older to the questions that we ask, the more serious questions, really impact who we are and who we're going to be, where we're going, 
impact a lot of our life. Here are some, some of those questions. What is my purpose for being here? That's a big one, isn't it? What is reality? <laughs> I think a lot of people have been asking that question lately. How about what is life? What happens when we die? Do I have a soul? Is there a God? What is He like? Is there a heaven? How can I get there? How about what is truth? Can I know it and understand it? Questions like these have been asked throughout history. Do you think these questions are being asked today? Absolutely. Throughout our society, throughout history, these questions are constantly asked. Here we see one of them. Thomas kind of asks a question, it's a statement, but a question. And I like the way that D.A. Carson kind of frames this whole section. And he gives a title to this section. He calls it Triumphant Faith. And the answer that Jesus gives here, and, and the other answers also, going back to the comfort that he gives us and knowing where we're going, that he's preparing a place, and the answers that follow, but especially the answers that we find here are going to help you and I understand what it means to, or what it looks like to live a triumphant faith. What is going to ground us? How are we going to be successful disciples in this world? Jesus gives us the answers. And as we go through this passage, I, I kind of want us to be asking ourselves some questions. Number one, the main question that is asked by Thomas... I, you should ask yourself, is this settled in my mind or in my heart or in my life? Do I truly believe what Jesus is saying here? The second question that I, I want us to ask ourselves, are you and I giving the world this answer or these answers that Jesus gives? Because that's, that's important too. Jesus just doesn't want his disciples to know and apply this answer. He wants them to proclaim it. He wants them to announce it. Uh, third and fourthly, I want us to ask ourselves, are we building our lives around this framework? Because this is what it means to be a disciple. Do our lives reflect the absolute change that is going to happen if we've applied that answer? And if not, why? So we're going to look at, we're going to focus on the answer. We're actually going to focus on verse 6 that I, that I read here. But if you wanted to kind of break it down, you have Jesus' statement that kind of precipitates a question by Thomas. And then you have Jesus' answer or his claims. And then you have really the answer or the application of those claims. That If you wanted to break it down uh, like that. But we're going to be looking at the three claims that Jesus makes, makes here, and what that means for you and me today. So the first claim, Jesus is the exclusive way to God, verse 6a. So when he asks, Thomas says, we don't know where you are going, how do we know the way? So Jesus responds to that question. So basically, we have no idea where you're going, but it answers the question if there's a heaven, and also, if there's a heaven, there's a God, how on earth do we get there? What is the way that you are taking that, you, that we can follow you? So the first claim is Jesus is the exclusive way to God. And we can say that in our culture today without any ramifications, right? <laughs> That's the bomb, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus just drops a truth bomb right out of the gate, as a matter of fact, I was, I was reading up on this and people's reaction to this statement of Christianity, and I'm sure we have faced it, and I think this kind of might explain some of the reasons why Christians are not proclaiming this truth. So this lady, or uh, I'm not sure if she's a lady, journalist from Huffington Post, writes this about this belief to suggest that one out of 4,200 religions holds all the truth and the key to salvation 
is not only arrogant, but it is also spiritually narcissistic. How, does anyone like being called a narcissist in here? Has anyone been called? I mean, I'm, I'm raised, am I the only one raising my hand? Just kidding. How about being called not just a narcissist, but a spiritual narcissist? Nobody wants to be called that. This is what our culture thinks of this belief. But it is extremely important that as we're looking at what Jesus says here, he is not saying a bunch of things. He's not saying, I know of a way. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying, I am one of many ways. That's not what he is saying. Jesus is saying, I myself personally am the way to the Father. That's where I'm going. So he answers that question of heaven. Is there a heaven? Absolutely. Is there a God? Absolutely. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the incarnate God who's come down, taken the form of man, and has now provided a way Where is he going to the cross, his departure, to God in heaven? That is the way that we must take. It is the only way. There is no other way. And I think what is happening, and I first addressed the church, but I think this pressure from the outside, I think this pressure is impacting our evangelism. I think we're afraid to say this truth. I think that's part of it. Because we, no one wants to be called a spiritual narcissist. But if you and I believe in this truth, you and I are obligated to repeat it. Because there is no other hope for these individuals. If we truly believe this, we are obligated to make this claim in the public. Obligated to do what Jesus is doing here. He's announcing it to his disciples, yes. But what is his disciples going to do? They're going to carry on his mission. I think there's other reasons too. Listen to this. This is, this is upsetting. A summary of a report from the Pew Research Center of, on religion seems that the subject of religion is the subject that people avoid the most, or many avoid. About half of U.S. adults say this, that they seldom or never talk about religion with people outside of their family. Well, because we know what that causes, right? Thanksgiving, two things, politics, religion, don't talk. I, I make sure I cover both of them. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to, I don't. I do, the one, religion, of course. When researchers ask, so, and then seldom, four in ten say they seldom or never discuss religion, even with their immediate family. So researchers asked evangelicals, right? They should be different. We should be different, sure, shouldn't we? We, shouldn't. we should want to talk about this because this is our faith. What do you do when someone disagrees with you about religion? 10%, just 10% of evangelicals say they try to persuade the person to change their mind. The vast majority, majority of evangelical Protestants, 70%, Try to just understand the person's beliefs and walk away agreeing to disagree. Holy cow. That's unacceptable. I'm not saying we should get into fights with people. By, by no means whatsoever. But why is that? What is happening 18% of evangelicals say they avoid discussing religion with the person altogether. What, why are we here if not to proclaim this truth? Because we're making religion about ourselves. We, we think we're all set, we're all good. And we don't want to do what? We don't want to push against this culture because of this. The editor says this. He says, by all means, right? And I, I think I've said this before in the apologetics class. We need to understand people, right? We need to understand their beliefs. We need to understand where they're coming from. But we can't stop there. 
We need to understand that so that we can then give them the gospel. We, we have the answer to one of life's biggest questions. Is there a heaven? Is there a God? Is there an eternity? Can I get there? Yes, absolutely. His name is Jesus Christ. And this is why we celebrated this today, right? Because he's the way. Because of what he did. Jesus tells Thomas the answer to this question, but then he kind of expands it. He's like, Thomas, I, I don't just have this answer. I got this answer and, and others, and the others are going to lead into this answer. Because he wants them to understand that when they go out, he's leaving them. He's leaving them, and he's leaving them with three of the most radical claims a man has ever made. This is the heart and foundation of our, of our faith right here. He wants to give people hope because people have questions. And you and I know who the answer is. But maybe, maybe, I started thinking, and maybe, and the, the, the research came to the same conclusion. Maybe we're not challenging individuals because maybe we don't believe Jesus is the only way. Here's some other just more startling results for us if you're not in a bad mood already. Buried within the Pew Research, uh, Pew's recent study on American religious landscape, there was a startling find. Adults who identified with a specific religion were asked whether they see their religion as the one true faith leading to eternal life, or if in their view many religions can lead to eternal life. How you answer such a question, this is so key, will determine whether evangelism is integral or peripheral, if it's a matter of urgency or complacency. In a stunning revelation, two-thirds of Christians believe that many religions can lead to eternal life, and 50% of all Christians believe that some non-Christian religions can lead to everlasting life. That is absolutely insane. I'll tell you what should trouble our hearts right there, folks. As a matter of fact, it's not 50. This is the, the I think, a more recent statistic. By Probe, Probe Ministries, did a survey, 2020, 60% of born-again Christians are pluralists. Why is that? Do we not understand what Jesus is saying here? Why did Jesus need to suffer and die if there's another way to heaven? It, it makes it utterly pointless. He doesn't need to go to the cross. Because it's the way that he's talking about, the only way that deals with sin. I'm the problem. I can't make a religion and fix myself. When he says he's the way, it's not just other religions. If you're coming to church and you think that any shred of righteousness that you do or good deeds are going to get you to heaven, please stop thinking that. That is not it at all. We are in serious trouble apart from Jesus Christ. We not only need to tell people that he's the only way, we need to say why he's the only way. Let, let's not fool ourselves. Other religions answer the questions of life. And even other religions try to deal with sin. We've lost our conviction. I'm not saying this church. As a whole. And, and I think what people are seeing is, if you're not convinced of this truth, why should I be? Hinduism tries to deal with sin. It's called karma. You want to jump into that religion? Guess what? You're going to be recreated over and over and over again. You think, you want to talk about being miserable? <laughs> like, I want to live another life, right? 18 lives, right? Trying to work off my karma. That is absolutely true. But I'll tell you what, as soon as they tell you that truth, they believe that's the way. There's salvation in those religions. Don't tell me that other, other religions don't claim that they have an answer to these questions because they do. 
just by making that framework they do. It's unbelievable that within Christianity, we have people that are believing there are multiple ways to God. It's an insult to Him. It's an insult to Him, and it's an insult to His holiness. And I'll tell you what, it puts way too much stock in us. It it is just unbelievable. As soon as I believe in an answer, I believe that answer is correct. It's the way that he's about to pave. God is a holy God. There is no sin or wrong in God. You and I, total opposite. Jesus needed to sacrifice himself for us. That's why he's the way. As one author says, though, and I think rightly so, there's, there's another exclusivity to, to Christianity. You know what it is? It's grace. It's grace. It's love. And it's mercy. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son to die for you and me. No other religion saying that. No other God is doing that. It's all about work. It's all about your own righteousness. You tell me, what's more arrogant? What's more arrogant? Me standing before a holy God and saying, you owe me something? Me standing before a holy God and and taking my little filthy, silly little deeds and offering them up before him and saying, here you go, give me eternal life? Or rejecting this, rejecting and, and accepting and saying, I'm a sinner, I can do absolutely nothing. Even those good deeds are what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. That's arrogance. Christianity doesn't proclaim arrogance. It's humility. That's why people don't like it. Not because of we claim to have the one way. It's actually the way that they don't like. To say that they deserved what Jesus received for us, they don't like that way. If you're here today and you have trusted in in anything else other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins, please, I need you to change your mind. I need you to change your heart. Jesus answers this question. He is the answer. What he does on the cross is the answer. That is the only way that you can be with God in heaven for all eternity. And we can claim it is true because of the very next point that Jesus is. Jesus is the essence of truth. Bomb number two. So he not only answers that question, right? But he, he adds to it. And basically, if we had to kind of frame it or say in a sentence, Jesus is the way, and on the way to the Father, you and I can know truth and experience true life. And also that the truth of Jesus is the only one who can truly explain who God is. So there's your other question. What is God like? God is like Jesus because Jesus is God. Everything that Jesus is, God is. Every aspect of Jesus' life, God is. If you want to understand God, you cannot understand God apart from the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he can lead us to the Father. Because he and the Father are one. It's the I am statement. I am the way. I am God, and that is why I can provide the way And that is why I can reveal his person, and he's going to say this in depth right after this. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen God the Father. His character, his words, his love, 
his sacrifice, everything that we see in Jesus is a reflection of God. Seeing him is seeing the truth of who God really is, but we don't want that, do we? Why? Because we have our own image of God. We want to make up our own image of God, and that's what all other religions do. That's what we do in self-religions. We create God in our own image. Jesus, when he's saying these things, I just want to have you look at it this way. Again, he's not saying that he is a way. He's not saying that he knows a way. He is not saying that he knows some truth. He is not saying that, oh, I, I can give you some truth. And he's not saying that I can tell you how to live your life. Even though some of those things are true, you can flip them. Jesus is personally these things. He is the only way. He is the way. He is truth, and truth is Jesus. He is life. Life is Jesus. I think Pastor Dave rightly says, who can make these claims without being considered a cuckoo or a nut job? These are the claims of Jesus Christ, and therefore these must be the claims of those who claim to follow him. And I'll tell you what, this claim right here, truth, right? How, how are we doing in truth in our culture right now? Yeah, whoo, holy cow. Let me tell you, in, in 1966, Time Magazine came out with this, came out with this cover, Is God Dead? 2017, they came out with this cover, Is Truth Dead? Do you notice the similarities? Do you think that was intentional? Absolutely, right? I mean, look at it. Do you know what's interesting about this? Is one follows the next. If God is dead which I believe they killed in 1966 in our culture, ultimately. They started trying to kill him a long time before that. Then, then yes, truth is dead. But it didn't die in 2017. It died when you killed God. Because if there is no God, you cannot have truth. And, and you actually must kill God in order for you to kill truth. You have to kill God. What happened in 1966 that God needed to die? Among many, many other things, what was one of the primary things happening in 1966? Oh, it was the sexual revolution. Makes sense, doesn't it? In order for me to create my own worldview, in order for me to be my own God, to create my own truth, I have to kill God. Do you think it was any different in Jesus' day? What did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Why? Because he testified to the truth. As a matter of fact, he says it to Pilate. Right before he's, he's, in Pilate, he's talking to Pilate, and basically Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. I'm here because I'm proclaiming the truth. I've come to testify to the truth which is what brought me here before you. Why? Because people do not want to hear the truth. So what do you do? You, you kill the people who are telling you the truth. Little does Pilate know that when he says what is truth, that he is, it's not a what. He's looking at the answer. It's a who. But Jesus Christ is the very essence of truth. If I kill God, if I kill Jesus, then I can become my own God. I can create my own reality. I can create my own truth. Spiritually and now even physically. Isn't that what's happening? It's exactly what's happening. One guy says this as he talks about existentialism, which is creating our own purpose and meaning in life, which he says that's the worldview we should all have. Okay. At birth, it's as if we are given a slab of clay. 
We get to choose what to mold in what what to mold it into, right? We're all here. Here's your clay. Go ahead. Here's your life. You know whatever it looks like. However, there is no right or wrong way to mold the clay. Right? You can't tell me that it's my clay. Each way is equally absurd and equally meaningless. Okay. Happy, right? That makes you joyful. Your clay, you can do what you want with your clay. Doesn't matter. It's absurd, meaningless, because there's no point. Because if there was, then I need to tell you how to mold the clay, which is interesting. Who's the clay? Right here. But what have we done? We've become the ones who make it. And we're recreating ourselves. And you, but you see in that this hunger for purpose, identity, and meaning. And Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can't understand reality. You can't understand meaning or purpose or life. So what we see happening, we should, it should break our hearts. Because everyone's trying to mold this clay. And it is just breaking apart in their hands. Instead of allowing their life to be molded by the one who is truth. How many people have been overwhelmed with all the lies right now? How many people have, have felt overwhelmed and have had troubled hearts by all the opinions and the new ways of thinking? Isn't it hard right now to be a Christian in this day and age? It's tough. I'm not, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it. We all know we're going to make it. Lost my screen here for a second. But it, it is. It's almost overwhelming. Well, listen to this. There's a guy, there's Snopes.com. I don't know if you heard of Snopes.com, but they, they kind of specialize in trying to debunk untruths, right, or myths. And Listen to what he says. So they've done a fantastic job of debunking urban legends, fake news, and old wives' tales, and even some bad journalism, they said. But even the founder, the co-founder, David Mickelson, says, says this about keeping up with all the, the false stories. He was interviewed, and he said, there are more and more people piling onto the internet, and the number of entities pumping out materials keeps growing. He says, I'm not sure I'd call it a post-truth age. I would, yes, you can be sure to call it a post-truth age. But there's been an opening of a sluice gate, and everything is pouring through it right now. The build keeps coming faster than you can pump. What a great analogy. It's not pumping water, though. What's it pumping? Garbage. It's pumping trash, and it's pumping lies, and it's flowing into the church, and Christians are soaking it up. And this is what is happening. We're beginning to believe the trash and the garbage that is being forced upon us from this, from this society, and we're afraid to give them the real answer. And the dirtier we become with this filth, the less the light of the truth will shine in our hearts. Not kidding, I was listening to the radio this morning, and someone got on. I listened to news. I don't recommend that. You just get, like, all worked up right before work. You're singing, we're dying. And I listened to the radio, and a lady's talking about lying. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of applicable. You know what she said? This, I'm not kidding, just heard this. You can... Snopes this, check it. I don't know. It might she she gave this statistic. Ten to two hundred lies the average person tells. Ten to two hundred lies. Do you think that that is per week, per month, or per year? None of the above. It's per day. It's per day. That's what she said. Whether or not that's true, you're going to have to look into that. 10 to 20 lies, 10 to 200 lies per day. That's insanity. We can't trust this world. We can't even trust individuals. It all makes sense, though, doesn't it? If Jesus Christ is the essence of truth, who's the opposite? Satan. 
What do you think Satan's trying to do? He's trying to open up the sluice gates. And he's going to flood our cult. He's going to flood the culture. And he's going to flood Christianity with a bunch of lies so that the truth is harder to find. But the opposite comes into play, doesn't it? If you and I have allowed this truth to set into our hearts, if we live by this truth, we're going to be radical, aren't we? People are going to, there is no way they cannot see a transformed life. And that is what this does. This transforms us. And we're not conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're what? We're transformed. That's what he's talking about. We continue to offer ourselves up to Christ. We continue to pour into his word. We continue to allow his word to pour into our hearts, and we shine in a world full of trash and garbage filled with lies. Because the essence of truth lives in our hearts. And when the very essence of truth lives in our hearts, there's no way people can't see it. And when I see Christians in, in sin, a lot, a lot, a lot of times, when, when Christians are living like this world, and they're indistinguishable from this world, Many, many times, that is preceded by a change of doctrine or belief. Many, many times. So maybe they don't kill God altogether, but they'll change some of the beliefs about Him. Why? Because it allows them to live in a life that's a lie. They kill Jesus because Jesus is the truth. He testified to the truth. You and I need to understand that. We need to be prepared for that. But we need to build our life around Him. We need to filter absolutely everything through Him. We need to experience reality through Christ. That's what he's saying. You don't understand meaning. You don't understand purpose. You don't understand heaven. You don't understand humanity. You understand absolutely nothing apart from me. And you don't truly know what it means to live if you are without the life that I have to offer. Which brings us to the third and final claim. Jesus is the embodiment of life, uh, verse 6c. So as I said, on the way to the Father, following the only way, Jesus Christ, you and I can know truth so we can understand reality uh, and we can live and apply that reality accordingly and we can truly experience life. You cannot truly experience life apart from the life that Jesus Christ gives you. Last summer, or I don't know when this was written, a few summers ago, 53-year-old Jeff Murphy was hiking in Yellowstone National Park when he disappeared. Park investigators found his body on June 9th where Murphy had fallen 500 feet from Turkey Pen Peak after accidentally stepping into a chute. However, he wasn't just out there for a hike. You know what he was doing? He was looking for this. Not that one in particular, but he was looking for a treasure chest. He was looking for a treasure box of gold and jewels that was worth up to $2 million which had been buried somewhere in the Rocky Mountains by an eccentric millionaire named Forrest Fenn. Forrest Fenn, an art dealer and millionaire in his 80s, lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In his self-published memoir, Fenn included a poem, supposedly leads to this treasure that he hid in the mountains. Quote, the ornate Romanex box is 10 by 10, Inches and weighs about 40 pounds when loaded, NPR's John Burnett reported in 2016. Fenn has only revealed that it is hidden in the Rocky Mountains, somewhere 
between Santa Fe and the Canadian border at an elevation above 5,000 feet. He says it's not in a mine, not in a graveyard, or near a structure. That, it's, it's bad enough that this man died, but guess what? He's not the only one who has died. He's the fourth man who has died looking for this treasure. It is really sad, and it is really ironic. But, but I see a direct parallel to many, many, many lives in this world. If we seek a treasure, if we seek life, apart from, from Christ, we only find death. We seek fulfillment apart from Christ, and it ends up being fatal. And we, we, we can seek that life in so many ways. We can seek it in drugs. We could seek it in alcohol. We can seek it in a variety of pleasures. We can seek it in our jobs. We can seek it in our own identity. We can seek it in people. You name it, we can seek it, and it ends the same way every time. We will not live a fulfilled, satisfactory life apart from Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Number one, we are not going to live eternally. He is the only one who can offer us eternal life. Why? Because he died for our sins. We cannot live with the Father in heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And, uh, and also, he's adding on to that, you cannot truly experience life. You are not truly living if you are not found in me. He knows this because he gives similar illustrations or parables, doesn't he? He understands what this is like. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like what? The man who, who found this treasure and then what does he do? He gives up everything that he thinks is life at that moment. He gives it up. He says goodbye. He says this isn't worth it. This is trash. This is garbage. I'm going for this right here. This is all that matters. That's Jesus Christ. That's life. He compares it to a pearl. The man who knows the value of pearls, he's been seeking pearls his whole entire life. He finds one pearl and he says, this one, this is the one, this is what I've been looking for. I found it. Do you want to experience life in its fullest? Do you, do you want true satisfaction? Do you want true fulfillment in life? Do you want to live with real purpose? Jesus Christ is your answer. And, and we see this in our world today, just ad nauseum, this search for identity. And it's sad. The people trying to establish their own life and they only end up empty. If you're sitting here today or watching online today and you're seeking a life apart from Jesus Christ, I'm going to beg you to stop. Please stop. Please stop. Because this is how it ends. Same like our illustration. And I'm not saying that as someone who's never experienced that before. That was me. That's what I did in my life. I sought pleasures, treasures of this world. And I'll tell you what it, what it left me with. You know what it left me with? Regret. It left me with pain pain that I caused to myself and it left me with pain that I caused to other people. It left me completely empty. And all I did was try to fill it more and more and more and more. Why? Because it doesn't satisfy folks. It's only when I surrendered my life to Him 
that I truly began to live. It's only when I gave my life to Him that I saw something that I can truly experience and enjoy the things that are good in life in a right way now. It's only when I handed my life to Him that I can truly say that I was satisfied. I could see and understand things. Felt like my eyes were opened. And even though I'm a, I'm a mess and a freak show at times, I know that He loves me. I was given life, a life that I, I, I could never imagine and one that I definitely didn't deserve. Not, not just salvation, but a, a love of my life with a, a daughter that I love, a family that you didn't think that I was going to be the guy who was going to have this perfect family. Not, not always perfect, perfect in my eyes. True, true satisfaction in life. True joy, even, even when things are very, very difficult. True friendship. A true, true camaraderie, true fellowship. True purpose. True life. I can honestly say to you, I'm 47 years old. And if I were to die tonight, I die a filled man. Why? Because of him. Honestly. I don't, you know, I'm not saying that. But I'm, I'm, I die full. I've been given more than I ever needed. And it's because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. It's because that, that life is a restored life with my creator and if we try to live our life apart from the life that he gives us, we're only going to be confused. We're only going to be depressed. We're only going to be anxious. And the seeking actually becomes the life, doesn't it? And you seek it over and over and over and over and over again, and you become enslaved to that life. And even as Christians, even though we have that life, sometimes we, we have to understand that we can go off that course, right? We can end up on those cliffs sometimes. Because the same thing happens with the lies, isn't it? The, 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 the world is going to try to tell us, hey, this is what life is about. You need to have this in order to live. You need to look like this in order to live. You need to, you need to just get rid of that. Because we can find ourselves in a very, very compromising situation. It's the promise of the kingdom. Not storing treasures here, not seeking treasures here, but there. You know, we got to remind ourselves. I find myself at Goodwill once in a while, and I'll pray for a treasure. You know, I'll pray. I'm like, Lord, give me the million-dollar thing. Just let me be on Antiques Roadshow. That's okay. Because... Right? We'd all benefit from that, right? If I find a treasure, we're all, I'm going to take care of the budget here. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know. I'm not making those promises. But that, I pray, right? You know, I, I was walking the field the other day. Lord, do we have a treasure right in this field somewhere? Can you just, maybe someone buried it, you know, just in case of emergency. But what happens is I, I'll sometimes get upset if I don't find something. And I actually have to tell myself this. I have to say, Mark, you have the treasure, you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants us to see. Because if we have him as our life, right, then all of this life can be shattered around us, can it? We, we can lose everything. But we lose absolutely nothing. That is what a triumphant faith will look like. Where we're not always seeking all of these earthly treasures but when we realize we have the one that matters the most. Paul talks about it. What does he say in one of the greatest verses in Philippians? What I consider, what is more, I consider everything what? A loss. 
an absolute loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them utter garbage. Why? That I may gain Christ. Paul found the answer. I hope that we see it too, and we see it in the conclusion here. Knowing Christ is the answer to life's questions. That's what he says. Listen to what he says to Thomas in the end. He says, what? If you had known me, you would have known the Father. He's, he's kind of saying, you don't really fully realize who I am. And when we know him, then we have the way. We know the way. We are on the way. When we know him, we know the truth. And when we know him, we know life. That's the answer. The answer to life is knowing Jesus Christ, because apart from that, we never will truly live. We won't live here. We won't ever see the Father. We won't know truth. We'll live a life of confusion, darkness, and ultimately death. I like what one commentator says. God will answer all of our questions in one way and one way only namely by showing us more of His Son. We know all the questions. There are many. The question is, do you and I truly know personally the answer? Father, we praise You for Your Word. We praise You for Your guidance. Lord, there is so much here in, just, in, in this one verse. Lord, help us, if we have not arrived at this answer, help us to do so today. If we have arrived, Lord, but we find ourselves not building our lives around this answer, help us in that area as well. And Lord, help us. As the world has so many questions right now, help us to not be ashamed of this answer, but to boldly proclaim it, knowing that Jesus Christ is the only hope this world has.